Well, over the course of the last two months, I've tried to speak to you on the church and different aspects of that. Uh, we, we began by looking at uh, Matthew 16, where Christ made the statement that upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Um, we've looked at, at dealing with divisions in the church and how we're to deal with each other as, as members of this kingdom. Um, we've tried to look at our commitment to the kingdom, and I hope that I hope that in some way we maybe are more committed um, after studying some of this and 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 see our you know the importance of the kingdom in our lives and how we should be so committed to that this kingdom and this church that God has established. And then we've looked at the the functions, some of the functions of the church, the kingdom. We, we early on we looked at baptism and communion as as traditions that God has planted in His church to show what He's done for us and that we could carry on until His second coming. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at prayer as a function of the church. And last week, we looked at preaching as a function of the church. And I want to probably close out looking at, at the church uh, as a whole or as a series of messages today uh, by looking at singing and the church. Um, so we will have looked at preaching, prayer, and and singing um you know singing is all over the bible I, I wrote down a few of these scriptures psalm 47 beginning in verse 6 says sing praises to god sing praises sing praises under our king sing praises for god is the king of all the earth sing ye praise with understanding um you know we just spent the last 30 minutes nearly singing to God, and that's not just something we do out of tradition. That's hopefully we'll see today is something that's been commanded as us of a church to do, as the people of God to sing praises to Him. On the cover of the old school hymnal here, it says, "Oh, sing praises unto the Lord." Psalm sixty-eight and verse thirty-two. You know, John had a picture of heaven in Revelation chapter five, and it says in verse nine that they sung a new song. <laughs> you know, we should not be surprised that that John sees. Uh, saints gathered around the throne, and what are they doing? They're singing, singing. Um, you may remember that we looked last week at the at what we call the regulative principle of worship, and that was just the the principle or the or the law or the what we'll follow is that we we try not to do anything as a church. A church should try their best not to do anything. Uh, that is forbidden in Scripture and be found doing the things that are commanded in Scripture, right? And so to look at that, we looked at prayer. Did the did Jesus pray? Did he teach us to pray? And did the early church pray? And did the apostles teach us to pray? And then we did the same thing with preaching. Was, was preaching something that was important to Jesus? Did we see Jesus doing it? What about the apostles? So as we begin with that same th frame of thought this morning, as we look at singing and our example, Jesus, I would say, number one, you know, Jesus invented singing. He made man in his own image, and man is unique that we have this ability to gather together and to sing one to another. Do you all understand that? See, music isn't something that man created. Singing isn't something that man created. It's something that we found, right? I'm sure you all understand the difference there. Jesus created beings, and, and God created music. There's nothing wrong with music, right? We can, we can pervert music and corrupt music, but music in its purest form is something that God created. It's like the laws of math. Man didn't come up with that. God created these things. You understand that, right? And we, we 
we have discovered them, but anything true is something that God himself created. But we see that Jesus um, twice uh, in, the, in the Gospels, in Mark and in Matthew, so in Mark 14, 26, and in Matthew 26 and verse 30, after the, the Last Supper, the communion service, when he instituted the bread and the wine, it says this in Matthew 14, 26, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Then in Matthew 26 and verse 30, it's almost exactly the same. When they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And it's interesting to me that in this, uh, you know, this very important institution that he's establishing there in the communion service, the bread and the wine, that's going to point towards his body, which would be broken for us, and his blood, which would be shed for us. And they leave this moment, and they're going into uh, the crucifixion, right? This is the end. This is, um, this is where Christ is going to be sacrificed for us. But as they're going out to do this, they stop to sing a hymn before they depart. I would have loved to see that. I would love to see that scene, wouldn't you? That these men come together. Sometimes men, you ever know, sometimes men don't want to sing, or it's almost there's a there's kind of a stereotype in, in culture. Sometimes it's not manly to sing. That's not always been the case. Here are the manliest men that have ever been that are sitting around singing a hymn. That's amazing to me. Uh, men singing together. But God sees, Jesus sees that it's important uh, before he goes into this week of trial uh, that they sing a hymn then they depart so we see that jesus not only created us in his image that god created us in his image and we have the ability to sing but jesus himself is found singing but what about the early church you know i've, I've said before the mission statement of the church is found in acts 242 where it talks about the early church continued steadfastly in a few things and one of those was the apostles doctrine and fellowship so we have to say if we are going to be the New Testament church, do we find ourselves continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine? What did the apostles teach? Uh, and many times in the New Testament, um, and that is where we find uh, our regulations for worship. That is where we find how we are to worship God, especially the apostle Paul. He teaches in Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3 that we're to sing. So I want to read those today because those are going to be uh, important scriptures for us as we look at singing in the church. So in Ephesians chapter 5, and let's begin in verse 18. Paul says this to the church at Ephesus, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, or spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always, all things unto God and the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. A very similar passage to this is found in Colossians chapter 3, where Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The book of James. Uh, we, James says, is there any afflicted? This is in, so this is James chapter 5. He says in verse 13, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. 
is any merry? What is the response to, to being merry, to being happy? He says, let him sing psalms. One time we were riding the church many years ago. You've probably heard me say this before. And um, my wife said, Bo seems to be a happy baby. I mean, he was a little, he was, he was young at that time. And I said, why? And she said, well, he's always singing. And he would. We have videos of him singing in his crib. And he still loves to sing. And um, I said, how do you know that means he's happy? <laughs> and she said, do you usually sing when you're sad or when you're mad or when you're upset? And that is very true, right? Uh, we usually tend to sing when we're happy. And so that's what James says. Is any among you merry? Let him sing psalms. So we see that it's been taught uh, that we should sing. But what about, do we have any examples of the church actually singing? Well, we do. And I want to look with you just a moment at Acts chapter 16. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 16. You know, I've, I've mentioned before, this is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. Uh, so much goes on in this chapter. Paul, those that are with him have, have come down to Lydia. And there's a prayer meeting in Philippi and and. and Lydia's heart has been opened and she's receptive to the gospel. And, and there's, a, there's like a slave girl that comes into this and she's, she's possessed. And it says, and, and um, Paul uh, kind of commands the, the, those uh, that were possessing her to come out. And it says in verse 19, when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers. And brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them. The magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. When they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging their jailer, or charging the jailer, to keep them safely who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prisons and made their feet fast in the stocks. I remember Brother Sam, our former pastor, used to say this, are you listening? <laughs> I'm going to ask you all that this morning. Are you listening? Some of you all don't look like you're listening. <laughs> I've heard it said there's nothing that will test your faith like a long sermon on a pretty Sunday. <laughs> I want to make sure you're listening right now because now that's the kind of situation that will make you long. We're talking about longing for heaven, right? They're doing nothing other than preaching the gospel. They're beaten. They're struck. They're placed in the prison. It says they made their feet fast in the stocks. So their feet are literally, for lack of a better term, they're handcuffed together. And, and now in verse 25, it is midnight. At this point, their body is probably cramping. They are tired. They are wounded. And, and listen, how many of us complain when we order a large fry and they give us a medium at McDonald's? And we say, boy, life is just not fair to me. Anybody? Just me? <laughs> we get mad. How could they? That's because we don't have the proper perspective in life. And our perspective 
is the see the way we the lens by which we view the world is what's going to determine our attitude in life right and we are just bombarded every day with life is about you it's all about you have it your way you 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 but that's not what life is about the apostle paul said in philippians chapter 1 for me to live is christ to live if if we could if we could live our lives with that lens that everything I do is about Christ. That the way that I, the, uh, the way that I work at my job is about Christ. The way that I uh, live my life is about Christ. The way that I raise my children or love my wife or sing our songs or whatever it may be, it's all about Christ. Then you would have this perspective. He says, "For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain." I can tell you, if the if the bus to heaven pulled up, the Apostle Paul might be driving it. I don't know, <laughs> but he'd be on it. But and it's not because his life was. It's not just because his life. And listen, he was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was in fastings often. You can go to Corinthians and read about the horrible things that happened to Paul. But I believe if Paul was living in America today in the wealth that we have, he'd still be on the bus. And why is that? Because he had such a relationship with Christ that he longed for Him. He wanted to be with Him. And some so some of us, it's not just the, the, the prosperity or the material things that we have. It's that we really don't have a strong relationship with Christ. And maybe it's the, uh, the, the, the material things. Or maybe it's the wealth. Or maybe it's the comfort that, that, is, that has divided us from that relationship with Christ. But if you, if you spend your day, if you spend your time uh, reading His Word and praying to Him and have a relationship with the people in the church, you become, you become more and more uh, just intertwined that your life is all about Christ, you'll have that desire, right? When you get that medium fry and you order... See, I'm telling on myself. Most of y'all probably don't order large fries, do you? <laughs> It's the fat preacher that wants the large fry. <laughs> when you get that wrong order, it won't be. Why did they do that to me? You'll be you'll you'll find yourself being merciful, won't you? You'll find yourself being kind. You say, who knows? I mean, it's probably hard to get all that right. Your life will change when you have the proper perspective, right? And so here they are at midnight. It says it's midnight. And Paul and Silas, who are, their feet are fast in the stocks, they've been beaten, they're in prison for doing nothing wrong. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. Isn't that amazing? That, that, that's, that's, you know, we look at that and we think, how, how? The same spirit that was in Paul and Silas is the same spirit that's in us. We can have this kind of attitude. Speaking to the Philippians again, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. That is at all times and under all circumstances. And again I say, rejoice. He's not telling the church there, here's something I'm commanding you to do that you can't do. He's lived it. He's doing it. This is the fulfillment of Philippians 4 and verse 4. In all circumstances, in all times, he finds himself rejoicing, singing praises unto God. Well, what does that have to do with singing? Well, obviously they're singing praises. But you know, I've always thought about this, is that Paul and Silas, they're, 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 they're in the stocks. They've been beaten. They're in prison. They're praying. They didn't say, hey, brother, hand me the hymn book. And let's turn to number 7. I guess there's not 700 in here, is there? Let's turn to number 405. They, they knew the songs. 
See, singing was so important to the early church that they knew the psalms. How many of us could could get how many how, could we make it through a song service if we didn't have a book? I don't know. I was telling Carrie yesterday. I can remember once again when Bo was little, and and I didn't. Do, I'm not trying to sound like Super Dad. I didn't do this often. This was usually Carrie's job. But he was crying, and and we had one of those uh, like swivel rocking chairs in his room. And it was late at night, and I went in there, and I started rocking him, and I started singing hymns to him. And he kind of quit. And I, I, I remember I started, I, I don't know why I can remember this, but I started with Just the Same Today. Don't y'all like that song? He's Just the Same Today. We sang Amazing Grace. I, I sang several others to him, and, and he wouldn't go to sleep, but he wouldn't cry if I was singing. And I ran out of songs. <laughs> I didn't know anymore. <laughs> And he started squirming, you know how they'll do, and, and started to cry. And, and I can remember that. I can't believe I'm telling you all this. But I said, well, I'm shameless when it comes to loving you. <laughs> and I started singing him Garth Brooks songs <laughs> till he finally went to sleep. <laughs> That's where his love for country music began. <laughs> If your kid doesn't know Garth Brooks, I worry about you as a father. <laughs> but I've always, every time I think about that story, I think, I bet Paul and Silas didn't have to resort to Garth Brooks. They knew the songs. <laughs> because singing was such a large part of the early church. The early church was, was familiar with the songs of the faith. And so as we talk about singing, I want to address one thing now uh, with you. The elephant in the room maybe is what's not in the room here, right? Most churches along Columbiana Road, not all, um, but most churches in America, if you go in there today, you will find some type of musical instrument, whether it's a piano, guitar, organ. Um, not all. It's not unique to us. But I want to address that with you because as primitive Baptist people, that's one thing that most people will notice as they visit a church, that there's no musical instruments. And that's one thing you'll be asked about from time to time. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on it this morning. Um, but wh why do we worship without musical instruments? And it all goes back to that regular, just I mean, to sum it all up, it goes back to that regulative principle of worship that, you can see in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 and in James 5 that the command in the New Testament is always to sing and musical instruments are never mentioned. It's never mentioned to, to play. It's never mentioned. They're never mentioned. They're mentioned in the Old Testament, no doubt. They're never mentioned in the New Testament. And as the New Testament church, we are trying to follow what's been laid out for us in the New Testament. Do you all see that? Now, I want to say this, too. As people who don't use musical instruments, we don't do that in our worship service, and, and we're definitely in the minority today. Um, the historical practice of the church is on our side. And I believe that's important to know as the church of God because I want to, I want to be... I want to be found on the side of history, not on the, the fads of today. 
and today maybe the 1800s or the 1600s. See, it's the sixth century before you ever really see musical instruments uh, in the church, in any kind of church, not just Baptist church, but any kind of church. Um, the word acapella, we, we sing acapella, right? In its very form, it's taken from an Italian word that means in the, in the style of church music, in the manner of the chapel. It, it literally means, according to, you can, you can look this up, according to the chapel. So this is a quote from an um, encyclopedia. I can give you all these references if you need them. If you don't believe me, I can, get, I can show you where to find them. Um, but I want you to listen to this. Both the Jews in their temple service and the Greeks in their idol worship were accustomed to sing with the accompaniment of instrumental music. The converts of Christianity, accordingly, must have been familiar with this mode of singing. But it is generally admitted that the primitive Christians employed no instrumental music in their religious worship. Such musical accompaniments were gradually introduced, but can hardly be assigned to a period earlier than the 5th and 6th centuries. So history's on our side, right? Now, I want to I give you some quotes from, these are not primitive Baptist, quotes from people that you'll probably be familiar with. Uh, there's two reformers. Uh, Martin Luther was quoted as saying that he called the organ... Uh, an ensign of Baal. That's, that's very strong language, but you can see what he thought about it. Uh, a Presbyterian, this is John Calvin, father of the Presbyterian church. He said, musical instruments in celebrating the praise of God would be no more suitable than the burning of incense, the lighting of lamps, the restoration of the, sh uh, or the, restoration of the shadows of the law, uh, the papist of the Romans, and of course he was leading the Reformation away from the church at Rome, therefore have foolishly borrowed this as well as many other things from the Jews. So we can say that Luther was against it. Uh, Calvin was against it. John Wesley, he's, he's the father of the Methodist church. This is a quote uh, from Adam Clark, who was another uh, very famous Methodist uh, Bible commentator who I've enjoyed reading. He quoted John Wesley as saying, I have, I have no objection to instruments of music in our chapels provided they are neither heard from nor seen. <laughs> I think I'd like that guy. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon, probably the most popular Baptist preacher of all time, right, in the, in the 1800s in England, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Thousands of people would come to hear him preach every Sunday. He never allowed a musical instrument in that church. And he was commenting on Psalm 42. He said, we might as well pray by machinery as praise by it. Wouldn't have it. Uh, now, here are two primitive Baptists that I want to I quote. J.H. Uh, Oliphant, who I mentioned last week, who wrote, or I think it was last week, who wrote the book, Principles and Practices of a Regular Baptist, uh, speaking on uh, adding instrumental musics to the worship and how that... Um, how that actually has served in many ways, and we can see this play out in church history, that has served uh, not to unite the church, but to divide the church. Many Musical instruments have divided. See, a lot of churches are today are not divided over whether we should have musical instruments, but what musical instruments we should have. To have a set of drums and an electric guitar, people say, no way, you can have that. Now, the organ and the piano, that's great. But don't bring in those things. 
The Primitive Baptist Church has been divided over a piano, right? Are we going to have a piano? Are we going to bring this in or bring that in? Listen to what he says. J.H. Oliphant, very, very renowned Primitive Baptist preacher. If we allow one brother to add the instruments of music to the list, we must allow another to add something else to the list. And so the basis of our union or the union would be swept away at once. The theory of our people has been to interpret the silence of the New Testament as prohibitory and not as permissive. Listen, listen to what he says. This is great. This is a safe, old, beaten path for the dear old Baptist. Let us all be content to follow in the paths of our fathers. I love that, don't y'all? You start hearing somebody say, well, why, why can't we do this? Why can't we do that? Maybe not always, but you, that's, a, that's a sign that you find somebody that's just not content with the Primitive Baptist Church. And maybe it's... Maybe you're not. And, and that's not the worst thing. I mean, that's not, the, I guess, the worst thing in the world, right? But as people who are baptized members of the church, we need to be content with the way that, that, the way that our forefathers have done it, right? We need to walk in the old paths. We don't need to remove the ancient landmarks. We want to be standing. Our, our churches look different, but I want to be a part of a church where if uh, one of my forefathers was resurrected and walked in, they would notice what's going on. Don't y'all? He says, let us be content to follow in the paths of our forefathers. Sylvester Hassel, he wrote Hassel's history. Many primitive Baptists know him. He said, the form of spiritual worship and praise in the apostolic church was the song service, the prayer service, and the preaching of the gospel. That's what we want to be found doing today. So let's look at, let's, that, let's, so hopefully you can see that history's on our side, but let's look at putting away musical instruments. Let's look at Ephesians 5. Let's look at Colossians 6, or Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. And then we'll look a little bit at James 5 and 3. I believe there's eight things that I've listed here. We talk about singing. What can we learn about singing? Singing in the church. And the very first thing is we, we know we should sing, right? We know we should sing. Um, over the course of, I don't know how, the, I don't know how Paul and, and Barnabas did it. I don't know if they met at 10.30 and they sang for 30 minutes. Then I doubt it. Over the course of time, that's kind of how it's worked its way out. Is that, you know, here, for example, we, we, we all gather together for worship at 10.30 and we begin to sing. We usually sing for about 30 minutes. Um, that's something that you should do. I, I want to, as a preacher, it's hard on my pride to say this, but <laughs> this isn't like the main event. From 10.30 to noon or 12.30 or 1 or however long we go, that is the worship service, right? The preaching portion isn't just the worship service. The singing portion isn't just the worship service. When we pray together, that's not just the worship service. It's all together the worship service. A lot of preachers all the time, they're preaching about get to church on time and, and, and making people feel bad for being late. <laughs> Because if we couldn't do that, we wouldn't have anything to preach about. <laughs> I thought if the world wasn't a mess and people didn't get to church, if, if, if the world was great and people got to church on time, what would I do? <laughs> Why do they do that? Because they want you to be a part of the worship service, right? From start to finish. How many? See, it really reflects on our priorities when we neglect 
the church service. Because I can, I mean, this is easy to preach, but I can guarantee you, if you got tickets to the ball game, you don't show up in the third quarter. Most of us set up a tent and wait until they open the doors so we can get in, right? I've heard a story before. I, I, I didn't want to get on this, but I've heard a story before, but it talked about uh, the, the, the average American male, let's say, in Alabama. Let's just, let's just bring it down home. Um, on, on Monday morning, they get up and they go to work. When they get to work, they're probably checking on the game. Let's say it's football season. They're checking on the game that's coming up Saturday, right? And, um, you know, Tuesday, their, their mind's on the game. Wednesday, they, that's all they can talk about. You go to lunch with them, that's all they can talk about is the game. That's all they're watching. You know, they're watching Hey Coach or whatever it is that night so they can hear their coach talk about the game they're going to play. On Thursday, they cut off work early and they go down to Tuscaloosa or to Auburn. And, and maybe they take their camper. Maybe they set up their tent and they begin barbecuing. And, they, and then, by you know, Friday night, that's what they're doing. And then Saturday morning, I mean, it's like a fellowship event. There's thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that flock to these cities and to these stadiums. And, and the fellowship's great and the people are kind and they're high-fiving each, each other. And, and, and then, you know, then the main event starts. And, and, and literally 100,000 people are screaming and yelling and crying and cheering. And then it's over and they go home and they watch the game. They fast forward through the commercials and watch it again when they get home. And then they wake up Sunday morning. They either sleep in or they show up late, church, if they even go. And they're so tired from the whole week of focusing on the game that they can't really make it through the church service. Now, if you were uh, an alien observing that, what would you think they worship? Maybe it's not football in your case. When we think about, and you know, we recently prayed that God would revive our churches in Birmingham, Alabama. And when you look at the, the landscape of our churches and you see that, yeah, we're, the churches aren't growing. People aren't spiritual. It's not God's problem. God's not the one that created the problem. It's us. We don't have our priorities straight, right? So if, if you're not participating in the song service or if you're, if, you're, if you're neglecting the church service or neglecting these things, that's not, that's not the problem. The problem's a heart problem. I didn't mean to get on this, but that's, the, that's, that's been my problem. When I'm not looking forward to coming to the song service, when, I'm not, when I don't feel the, the, you know, the, the spirit when I'm singing, when I'm going through the motions, that's, that's just a symptom of the problem. I've got a heart problem. I've been too worried about the game that week. I've been too worried about the job that week. I've been too worried about the things that really do not matter that week to prepare myself to sing. You know, one of the things that we learn about singing is that we need to prepare to sing. Listen to what he says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. See, when we go through the, the week, yeah, 
The discipline of daily Bible reading or, or being in the Word of God or studying the Word of God, uh, that's a great thing for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is we need to have the Word of God dwelling in us richly to be able to sing in our hearts. You see, the people that have been in the Word all week long, I can guarantee you today, they enjoyed the song service more than the people that neglected it all week. Because it's, it's kind of like that Paul thing, right? They've been that To live is to Christ. And when you're closer to Christ and you're in His Word, the more you anticipate the song service, the more you anticipate the worship service, the more you, the more you know Christ, the more you want to sing to Him. Do y'all see that? So, so we need to prepare ourselves throughout the week with, 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 with reading of the Word and letting the Word of Christ dwell in us. Not just a temporary thing. We know, we know what we should sing. It's obvious in, in both in Ephesians and Colossians, psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. Uh, the, psalms the, the psalms are literally psalms of praise, psalms from the Bible, right? Inspired words. We, we can sing those. Songs of deliverance, psalms of praise, hymns. Those are songs that give honor uh, and, and praise and thanksgiving to God. And although they may not be inspired by Scripture, they, they point us to God, right? What Christ has done for us, what God has done for us. First uh, Timothy 3.16 says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. You know, Paul quotes this verse, but uh, or Paul, Paul's the one that wrote this verse, but Paul quotes this, and many believe that was a first century hymn. You see how rich it is with Christology, and it just points to God. That's, that's the kind of songs we need to sing. Spiritual songs. What are spiritual songs? There's songs dealing with, so like we're not singing Garth Brooks' greatest hits, right? <laughs> now, if you rock bow long enough, you might. <laughs> we're singing songs that are spiritual, that point us to spiritual themes and spiritual things, right? So we want to leave being filled with the Spirit. Not, not, there are, see, music is powerful. It can fill you with the Spirit or it can drain you of the Spirit, right? And you got to be careful. What it is that we sing. Our singing, we, we hear that we, our singing should be together, corporate, speaking to yourselves. It's a plural pronoun that we're speaking to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And, and, and this goes without saying, it should be spirited. Listen to, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5. He says, he says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with with the Spirit. You see, just as human beings, we have, this, we have this desire in us to be filled with something. And he's saying, be filled with the Spirit speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. And when, I think when he says they're in your heart, that we're to do it heartily, with zeal, actively, vigorously. We're to sing out to God. And you can see that we're teaching one another as we do this. That's what, that's what he says in Colossians, teaching and admonishing one another. We're literally teaching each other as we sing, the songs that we sing. That, that'll influence the songs we sing, won't it? Don't we want to be teaching each other truth? We'll be teaching each other the good, the, the, you know, doctrinal things, teach each other things about God, what He's done for us? That, that'll also influence the way you sing. So here, let me see if y'all get this. I really believe you should sing in such a way that other people can hear you. If you don't, you're not doing it right. 
You should also sing in a way that other people can hear other people. <laughs> right? You understand that? Because if, if you can't teach and you can't be taught, then we're not doing it the way the apostle said to do it. Y'all see that? We're to teach each other. You say, well, and here's, here's another one. Oh, I can't sing. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> and and I, would, I would say this. If you say, I can't sing, so I don't sing. Well, you probably can sing, so sing. But if you can't, Paul also said speaking to one another. So just speak it. <laughs> but participate. Do you see that? It's about being part of an active body of Christ. Participating. Speaking to yourself in songs and hymns. Now, here we go. I'm going to close with these two. Our, our singing, here's what our singing should be. Uh, a happy response. Remember what, remember what James said? If, if any is merry, let him sing. It should be a happy response to what God has done for us. Remember we talked about prayer and preaching being uh, a means of deliverance for the child of God. Well, here's what, here's what songs and singing is. It's the proper way that God, it's the means by which God has given us that we can, we can sing to him in response to the deliverance he's given us. Do y'all see that? That we're to sing to him. Is any, is any, is any Mary, let him, let him sing. I want to show you something. In, in Exodus chapter 14, very famous, uh, very, very, very well-known uh, portion of Scripture. That's where the children of Israel, uh, they're, the, the sea is in front of them. The army of the Egyptians is behind them. And God parts the sea. And they go through the sea. And Egypt follows them into it. In verse 26, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the uh, into the sea after them there remained not so much as one of them but the children of Israel <laughs> the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Chapter 15 and verse 1. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song. Y'all see that? How many times has God delivered you? <laughs> over and over and over, hadn't He? He had to deliver the children of Israel over and over and over. Not only has He delivered us from our sins to a home in heaven, but He delivers us each and every day. The fact that we're still breathing is about the mercy and grace of God. And the proper response to that is to sing praises unto Him. To sing unto Him. Singing is our response to deliverance. So, so people who feel like they've been delivered by God, you know what you should find them doing? Singing to God. And here's the last point I'm going to make. When we come together to sing, 
we are not singing to entertain each other or someone else. Like I want our singing to be on key and, 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 and sound good and all those things. But we are not singing to entertain others or to be entertained ourselves. We're singing to entertain God. Our songs are to be directed towards God. To, to entertain is to, to please someone, to amuse someone. And over the course of time, as churches have drifted away from this, many churches today in their song service, um, you know, in their, their, their music, it's, it's, it's designed to entertain or to amuse. I'm sorry. You'll have, maybe it's a choir, maybe it's a band, maybe whatever it is. Who are they singing to? A crowd of people, right? They're singing to them. But listen to what the Bible says. Ephesians 5.19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Do you see where it's directed? Colossians, the same thing. To the Lord. See, we're not, we're not here to be entertained. On, we are entertained all week long, right? <laughs> from, from, from 10.30 to noon or wherever it may be, when we come together to worship God, we are here to entertain God. We're here for God. Paul, Paul told the Romans, he said, I beseech you. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. What is it? He said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. When we come here today, we are sacrificing our time. We're sacrif we could be doing something else right now, couldn't we? I could have used all y'all. We were working in the yard yesterday. I could have, we could have got a lot done, all these people, from 10.30 to noon at my house. <laughs> We sacrifice that. We sacrifice our time. We sacrifice our money. We sacrifice our, uh, maybe it be our status in the community. We, when we sing, maybe we sacrifice, you know, uh, whatever it may be. I, I don't know. We, we, we come together to sacrifice. He says, I beg you to, that you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. When you consider what God has done for you, to sacrifice your time, your, your, your song, to sacrifice your money, your body, whatever it may be, is reasonable, isn't it? Now listen to this. Psalm 27 and verse 6. I want to close with this. It says, Now shall my head be lifted above my enemies round about. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing. Yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. I hope that, that next week or when we come in from, from time to time that we will, we will not think of 1030 uh, to 11 as a time where we call out our favorite song and just get to the preaching <laughs> or get it over with. This is a time where we can sacrifice to God through song. We can, we can lift up sacrifices to the throne room of heaven through the song service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the ability to sing. Thank you for the, for the, the many songs that uh, the Psalms that we have in your word and the songs that you've helped men to write throughout the years that, that bring honor and praise to you. And God, maybe, may we just realize kind of level set that we, you've given us this ability and let's not use it lightly, but let's take our time to sing, to sing heartily, sing with zeal. Um, may, may we, fill ourselves with the word throughout the week so that we're not filled up with everything else in the world, but maybe we'll fill ourselves up with the word that we anticipate coming 
to church. We anticipate coming together to sing praises to you, to hear of the word of God, to pray together, to fellowship one with another, to be found like that early church, continuing steadfastly in those things, the apostles' doctrine and prayer and breaking of bread. Lord, we, we want to be we want to we want to be better Christians, but most of the time we get in our way. And so we pray, Lord, you get us out of the way that we may see you and, and we may have that motto in our life that to live is Christ. Help us as we sing, make our songs acceptable in your sight. And it's in Jesus name we pray. Amen.